In this episode, we travel from the American West to the jungles of South America, to the gangster streets of 1930s Chicago. It's the moving music of the late Inyo Morricone, this time on Frame Tracks. Since I began this podcast so many years ago, I've had a list of composers that I eventually wanted to tackle, and on this list, from day one, I had two composers that I've been putting off because, well, frankly, I wasn't comfortable with the pronunciation of their names. Now, as silly as that sounds, I didn't want to do a show about a certain composer and then butcher their name the whole time, so I just kept pushing them back until one day... I was able to properly pronounce their names, and well, I think that day has come. The two composers are Basil Polidorus, who composed such scores as Robocop and Starship Troopers, and the other is the composer of this show, the great Inyo Morricone, truly one of the most creative composers of all time. I've been practicing and I hope today is finally the day I can give Morricone the respect he so greatly deserves. Now I listen to other podcasts about film composers and I talk a lot about composers to others who share the same level of love as I do. And almost all of them say the same thing, that they didn't discover Morricone's music until later or that they haven't listened to him much at all. I'm not sure why this is, but I was no different. It can't be for a lack of trying as the guy has a pretty robust body of work. Right now on IMDb, he's credited with over 520 scores. That is simply astounding. So why the lack of appreciation from American fans? Well, most of those 520 scores are foreign, and films from abroad generally are ignored here in the States. So there isn't as much exposure to him here. And the scores he has done that are known here are mostly westerns and highbrow Academy Award level films, neither of which have that much of an audience here compared to, say, a Marvel or Star Wars film. And that's where my fault was. In my younger years, I didn't care for the western genre. I found the films to be slow or too violent for my taste. I preferred the more action-oriented sci-fi adventures, so I largely ignored the great westerns until Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven in 1992, while I was finishing college.
As many of you know, I like to start the podcast by playing a piece from the first time I heard the composer. Since I wasn't into westerns or foreign films in high school, my first introduction to Morricone was the gangster genre. In 1987, famed horror director Brian De Palma directed a gangster film starring Kevin Costner, Andy Garcia, and Sean Connery that followed the formation of a team by Elliot Ness, who has been tasked with taking down the criminal mastermind Al Capone. The result was a thrilling roller coaster ride of a movie that is simply one of the best made. Connery and Costner were superb, as was Robert De Niro as Capone. De Palma's horror aesthetic is present, but this time wrapped in a more action packed blanket. It is simply a stunning piece of work full of remarkable setups and spectacular payoffs. By 1987, I was getting pretty entrenched into the film music world and was ready to expand my knowledge. So imagine my surprise when I waited for the credits to see who composed this wonderful score, only to discover I didn't recognize the name. Then, after some digging, I find out he has hundreds of scores for which I could listen. My world wasn't expanding, it was exploding. So, from 1987, Brian De Palma's masterpiece, here is The Strength of the Righteous from The Untouchables. Thank you. 
with over 500 scores to his name, Morricone must have just lived at the Oscar ceremonies. So, that leads us to our trivia question for this episode. And it's kind of a hard one, without looking it up. How many Oscars did Eno win, and for what movies? Think about that one for a bit, and I'll have the answer later in the show. Once I discovered Eno, it was time for me to branch out cinematically and begin to watch some westerns. For you can't have one without the other. I often discuss famous director-composer pairings on the show. Spielberg and Williams, Burton and Elfman. Although he worked with some of the greatest directors of our time, including Mike Nichols, Brian De Palma, Barry Levinson, Oliver Stone, Warren Beatty, John Carpenter, and Quentin Tarantino, for Morricone, his main muse was Italian director Sergio Leone. Their creative relationship began in 1964 with the film A Fistful of Dollars. It was the first of a trilogy of films, starring Clint Eastwood as the gritty man with no name who would experience a harsher, more violent Western United States. The last film in the trilogy is the famous The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which features one of the single most iconic film themes in movie history. So, from that 1966 film, here is the main theme.
the duo would follow up that wonderful piece of cinema with what I would consider the greatest Western ever made. And Eastwood isn't even in it. This one starred Charles Bronson, Jason Robarts, and Henry Fonda in one of his greatest roles. Once Upon a Time in the West tells the story of revenge and redemption. Leone's slow pacing for the film only adds to its epic nature and brutally drags you to the conclusion. The cinematography is stunning, as is Morricone's wonderful score. From the 1968 classic, which if you haven't seen, you really should, even if you don't like westerns, here is Once Upon a Time in the West.
1982, aliens were a popular topic for films. Master director Steven Spielberg released E.T., which became one of the most successful films of all time. His movie told a story of a boy who befriends a benevolent alien who is lost and needs to return home. The optimistic tone struck a chord with reviewers and audiences alike. On the flip side of the coin, director John Carpenter also released an alien story that year. His film, based on the 1938 novella Who Goes There, told the story of an Antarctic research group who discovers something buried in the ice, something unworldly. Once thawed, a creature is let loose upon the base and takes the shape of researchers and then kills without mercy. Carpenter's The Thing was poorly received when released. It was described as instant junk and a wretched excess, and proposed as the most hated film of all time. After failing in theaters, The Thing was an early success story for the home video market where it finally found an audience. Today, the movie is regarded as one of the best sci-fi horror films ever made. That's where I first discovered the film, on VHS, in my living room at midnight after my mother had gone to sleep, and I can't imagine a better way to see this movie. My first takeaway when I saw the thing wasn't the music, but instead the visual effects. The remarkable effects during a time before CG still hold up to this day. The concept and execution were simply terrifying to behold. Honestly, musically, I don't recall much at all, but that could be because the music, which is used mostly to build the tension, was used so perfectly within the final film. Also, this film is a bit of a cheat. So the story goes, Carpenter fought very hard for Morricone to do the score, and after several back and forths, he turned in about an hour of music, but most of it was unused in the final film. Apparently, Carpenter eventually went off and recorded most of the score himself, but Morricone's score found its way onto a release. And it is that score we'll be listening to today. So, here is Despair, from the mostly rejected score to 1982's The Thing.
1981 French film The Professional, not to be confused by the 1994 French film Leon the Professional by Luc Besson. Now, this one was an action thriller directed by, you know what, none of that really matters. The music was by Inyo, and the main theme from the film was an international smash hit. So much so that the song has been used as the theme for several other films and TV shows. So what's the fuss? Well, here is Chai Mai from The Professional, uh, among other things.
1990, a multinational film version of the Shakespearean masterpiece Hamlet was released with a fantastic cast, including Ian Holm, Helena Bonham Carter, Glenn Close, and Mel Gibson. He played Prince Hamlet. The result was a pretty solid movie, with Gibson being praised as a strong, intelligent performance. This was well before Gibson's public issues. The film went on to be nominated that year for two Academy Awards. Naturally, Inyo did the score. Otherwise, why would we be discussing it? His score brought some serious legitimacy to the production and added that hint of weight needed for such a heavy story. From the 1990 version of Hamlet, here is The King is Dead.
I've been doing some research for my next podcast episode, which I said is going to be Basil Podoris. Basil burst onto the scoring scene with the fantasy epic Conan the Barbarian and its sequel, Conan the Destroyer. But what I didn't know and recently learned was that there was actually a third Conan film. Well, sort of. Director Richard Fleischer, who directed Destroyer, and Dino De Laurentiis, who produced all the Conan films, signed on for a three-picture deal. So Conan 3 was produced to introduce a new protagonist, a love interest named Red Sonia. Schwarzenegger stars with Bridget Nielsen of Rocky IV fame, but as happens in Hollywood, lawyers got involved and the studio had to change Arnold's character to Lord Calidor instead of Conan due to some rights issues. Turns out that Calidor was a name Conan used in some of the books that the films are based on. So he's really Conan. The result is you get a third Conan movie with Conan, but he's called something different. But it's clearly him. The movie is fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. But if you're a fan of Conan, however, then it's a must-see since it really is the third film. The first two Conan films used Basil for the score, but the third switched gears and went with another equally talented composer. Yeah, you guessed it. It was Mr. Morricone. So from Conan 3, I mean, from Red Sonia, here is her theme.
in 1984, Sergio Leone would tackle what would become his greatest epic to date. The film about the early gangsters in America would star such greats as Robert De Niro, James Woods, Joe Pesci, and Burt Young. Once Upon a Time in America had issues in the edit when the studio became fearful of Leone's full vision, and he was forced to cut the film dramatically. In 2012, the original film, with a running time of just over four hours, was restored and released to critical success. The film is not an easy one to sit through due to its subject matter and its length, but I can attest that it is a true masterpiece, and although I still prefer Once Upon a Time in the West, America is a worthy follow-up. So, from the 1984 epic film, here is Once Upon a Time in America.
1986 film directed by Roland Jaffe titled The Mission is about a missionary in 18th century South America. It won a great deal of awards that year, including an Oscar for Best Cinematography. The score is just about as beautiful a piece as can be made by man. It's a stunning work filled with exquisite instrumentation and melodies. It is truly wonderful. So I'm not going to be playing anything from that score. Because in 2004, famed cellist Yo-Yo Ma released an album titled Yo-Yo Ma Plays Inyo Morricone. This is a collection of Morricone's best work as played by Yo-Yo, and it too is some of the greatest recordings of music ever made. I'm not usually a fan of covers of scores. I generally prefer the original work, but Ma's performance of pieces from the mission are outstanding, and frankly, I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't play something from it. So, from that album, here is Yo-Yo Ma performing Gabriel's Oboe and the Falls from The Mission.
The end of the before-mentioned Good, Bad, and the Ugly is truly a cinematic masterpiece. The three title characters finally meet for a final duel to determine who will get the gold. They stand across from each other in a much-parodied triangle, guns at the ready for the ensuing shootout. The music then plays a nearly five-minute piece that sets the tone while the three simply stand and stare at each other. The tension is insane. So, from the good, the bad, and the ugly, here is the trio.
Ennio Morricone passed away on July 6, 2020, after a bad fall. His legacy is great, and I'm so glad that I took the time to explore his music. He is truly one of the greatest composers ever. Remember the Untouchables? Well, here is the main theme. to answer the trivia question. I asked, how many Oscars has Inyo won, and for what movies? Well, this one is kind of a shocker. With over 500 scores to his name, Inyo was only nominated for six films, and he only won twice. But really, he only won once. 
In 2007, after shutting him out for years, the Oscars were so embarrassed by not giving him the win, which they should have done many, 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 many times, that they gave him an honorary Oscar, pretty much to say that they were sorry. They figured he'd pass away before being able to give him a rightful Oscar, but he had the last laugh. For in 2016, he was nominated and won Best Score for Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. podcast with my favorite track by the composer, who this time is the late, great Ennio Morricone. It wasn't hard for me to pick my favorite because it's been this next track since the second I heard it. From the good, the bad, and the ugly, here's the gold, the ecstasy of gold.
All right, I got a little extra one for you. Remember earlier when I played that wonderful piece from Yo-Yo Ma? Well, here's his version of Ecstasy of Gold as well. Enjoy.
If you enjoyed listening to Frame Tracks, please log in and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to email me questions, requests, or comments to info at frametracks.com. That's F-R-A-M-E-T-R-A-X. And please support these great composers by purchasing their music. Until next time, this is Frame Tracks.